We're talking um, about discipleship, and more specifically, we're talking about the, the discipleship of the mind. Uh, how to take every thought, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, how to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Because if we don't take our thoughts captive, if we don't become uh, the masters of our mind as we are disciples of the Lord, then uh, it's not likely that anything else in our life is really going to fall into place in a permanent way. Uh, before I get into that, I want to say a word of prayer for the uh, message. Father, in Jesus' name, we commit this message to you. And God, my heart is that this would be something that we could understand and that would be uh, seed sown on very uh, soft, cultivated soil. Pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the main area of, of, of spiritual warfare and the main area of discipleship is the three and a half pounds of noodles between your ears. That really is true. It's got to be the center focus of our uh, discipleship thinking. And by the way, if you're following along in Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart, I'm loosely, fo I'm loosely uh, you know, going according to that book. Uh, we're right around chapters 5 and 6 where he deals with this material. Um, the, the main omission of that book, I love that book, but the main omission, I think, is that he doesn't get as practical as he needs to. Uh, I incorporate a, incorporate a lot of the TNT principles into this, and I think it helps make it applicable to our lives. I want to do a quick review of some of the stuff we've said about discipleship of the mind in general, and then I want to advance it in one very, very important area uh, for the rest of this message. The organism that we're dealing, talking about is the brain. The brain is a package of neuronets. Strip away all of our skulls, and that's what we look like. If you're ever distracted by someone's beauty, just mentally do a reframe and realize that that's what they really look like uh, inside their skull. Okay, end of story. That's what we all look like. We're these, these uh, throbbing four pounds of noodles with uh, you know, our bodies attached to them. The brain is a, uh, uh, is a package of neuronets. Uh, that are activated by triggers. A trigger is anything in our outside environment, and it can be even a thought that we have that uh, uh, sets out a chemical reaction. Neurons talk to one another uh, by, by firing uh, uh, electromagnetic currents at one another. And everything that we experience, everything that we think, and everything that we feel is nothing more than that chemical reaction. Most of these networks of neurons, that's what a neuronet is, a network, uh, are, are, they're, they're microscopic in size and they happen at one three thousandths of a second. It's a chemical reaction. And every word that I'm saying right now you understand because there's chemical reactions that decode the sounds that are going into your, your ears as meaning. The reason you know what the word meaning is is because I jiggled my tongue when I said meaning and my lips in such a way that it jiggled the airwaves, that jiggled your eardrums, that jiggled your nervous system, that jiggled your brain. That was the trigger. And boom, you have a neural net that's associated with that particular jiggle, which is the word meaning. That's how you know what the word meaning is. That's how you know what the word word is. That's how you know what the word is is. That's how you know what the word that is. Every particular word I'm saying right now is a distinct network of neurons firing in your brain. So is every smell that you're smelling right now for better or for worse. And so is all the colors that you're seeing around you. The only reason that you know I'm standing up here is because the light is jiggling your, 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 your pupils and, and the retinas and, and, and uh, the, your nervous system, which is causing a reaction in your brain that's being decoded as man up there talking. You see? Your whole of reality is a, a neurological chemical reaction in your brain responding to triggers. Okay, the totality of your reality is, is that. The behavior, the behavior is this. All that we do on, on the outside is a result of what we do on the inside. All that we do on the outside, the, your body does not have a brain of, it, of its own. It's wired to obey your brain. 
And uh, uh, what you do in terms of your physical behavior is all a result of what's going on in your head, how you're doing reality on the inside. That's why shooting at behavior is never the most productive way to try to solve a behavioral issue. The behavior is the tip of the iceberg. If you want to check any behavior that you have, and uh, uh, you'll find if you can slow the process down enough that there is a, a whole chain of neurological things, pictures that you saw, words that you said to yourself that led to that behavior. The way to change how we are in public is to change how we are in private, and that's all about what goes on between our ears. The Matrix is the total constellation of neuronet installations. Boy, does that sound intellectual, doesn't it? It's the total constellation of neuronet installations. But what I mean by that is this. The matrix is the whole package of triggers that we've absorbed from the world and the whole package of program firing that we've absorbed from the world. Given that trigger, this is what's going to fire. We've inherited that. And that whole thing is what I would call the matrix. The way we experience the matrix is just like the movie The Matrix. We don't think with information. We think by representing the world on the inside. If I ask you right now to think about what is in the back seat of your car, you don't get a little ticket tape piece of information running along the screen of your brain saying, you have got uh, a four-day-old now-turning-green pastrami sandwich and a spilled Coke and, and four books. That's not how the brain works. If I say, uh, what is the back what's in the back seat of your car? You see the back seat of your car. You do reality on the inside. That, that's how we access the information. We think with pictures. We think with sounds. We run movies of stuff in our head. And all that, are, that's what neurons look like from the inside of your skull, from, from your personal perspective. We have a holographic representation of reality that we do on the inside. Now, what is concerning is this. Most of that we did not choose. The way, everything depends on how the brain fires. The only reality you know is the firing in your brain. And most of it you did not choose any more than you chose the meaning of the words that I'm saying right now. So you inherited that. It was taught you. Given the right triggers, you're going to know what a word means. You're going to know, uh, you know, uh, who's in front of you. You're going to know how to respond to a particular situation. And most of that we do not choose. It's chosen, chosen for us. Neuronets get installed, okay, programmed to fire in a certain way. And it can be the result of what the things that were said to us when we were growing up and the things that happened to us and the guy that broke up with us and the wife that cheated on us and the failure that we had. And all of that just gets absorbed in the brain as truth and given the right triggers, it fires. Now, what's especially concerning is this. Most of those neural nets that are activated automatically at one three thousandths of a second, given the right triggers out here, most of those things are lies. Lies pollute the whole thing. The God of this age has uh, control over this entire world, it says in 1 John 5, 19. So our brains are polluted. The brain is, the, 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 the speed of the brain is an incredible tool when it's operating with truth. But it, but it works against us when it's operating with lies. And, uh, uh, and yet most of that is, is the result of uh, things that, that we've inherited from the world. To the degree that we just keep on going on with the programming that we've inherited. And to the degree that the program we've inherited is, is a lie, there is no way our lives will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Which is probably why we've made a billion more resolutions than we've ever kept. We want to walk in truth because our innermost spirit wants to live in truth. We know that's where freedom is. But the whole apparatus of this, this organic computer that God gave us to interface with the objective reality, that whole thing is, is, is largely working against us. To the degree that we don't take captive every thought, to the degree that we don't take charge of the neurological firings in our mind, to the degree that we don't program this computer, 
We are, we are just going to be defined by our past and defined by our present. Given the right triggers, boom, we're going to have anger. Boom, we're going to have lust. Boom, we're going to have rage. Whatever. whatever. Uh, the triggers are there. The neural nets will be there. And we are reduced to the level of a toad who, seeing a fly, just instinctively sticks out his tongue to get it. We're, we're, we're a walking, talking bundle of, of, of stimuli and responses. And how we respond to stimuli is the result of how we've been programmed. And we didn't program it. You see, we become a footnote to mom, a footnote to dad, a footnote to the car accident, a footnote to the, to the, to the rape. We become an extension of other people's ideas, an extension of, of our environment, and that's no place for uh, a child of God to live. Amen? Amen? That's the matrix. It keeps us in bondage. Now, freedom from the matrix is about taking the red pill. We've said, as Morpheus said to Neo, take the red pill. The goal is to, is to wake up to the matrix and get free from it. Here's what freedom looks like. Here's what taking the red pill looks like. It's about taking every thought captive to Christ. It's about uh, being, uh, thinking only what is true and what is beautiful and what is good, as Paul says in, in Philippians 4. It's about being transformed. This is your responsibility. Being transformed by the willpower addressing your behavior? No, by the renewing of your mind. It's about putting off the old self and putting on a new self by the renewing of your mind, Ephesians 4. It's about knowing the truth and knowing that the truth will set you free. And taking the truth and apply it, applying it to all the triggers in our life that elicit inside neural nets that are lies that bring forth behavior that's not in conformity with Christ. You can know the truth abstractly, but until you, you incarnate it into the particular lies that you believe in your brain, it's not going to do you that much good. We need to uh, know the truth in every particular area of our life in every particular way that we respond to things and root out the lies uh, for us to be transformed. The challenge, however, is this. The matrix is inconspicuous. This is how it controls us. We're ignorant of it. It's inconspicuous. The brain operates at lightning speed. One three thousandth of a second it takes for a neuro, a neuro net to be activated. We're conscious of only about five to seven pieces of information per second. Uh, the brain is doing 2,995 uh, pieces of, of information faster than that, so we're not aware of it. Plus, we're so used to it. We're so used to it. We don't notice what, what, we, what we are doing in our head that leads to a certain behavior, because we've always done it. It's like the nose on our face. It's too close for us to notice. And what you don't notice, you will stay in bondage to. So the solution is, and this is the goal of it, if we're going to be disciples, we have to be disciples of our brain. We have to uh, apply discipleship to the brain. It is, I believe, the most difficult, but most rewarding, most challenging, but most transforming uh, kind of discipleship that we are ever involved in. And what this looks like is this. It's simply learning how to introspect, to be introspective, to look at yourself. Uh, we, define, we define things publicly uh, so much, but what needs to happen is for us to define righteousness in terms of what's going on inside our head. The Bible assumes that we are responsible for this computer. Every thought in this computer we're responsible for. Take every thought captive. Uh, Jesus says, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're responsible for that lust, to take that captive to Jesus Christ. And so discipleship is a matter of looking at our life 
and, and uh, slowing the process down before God, asking God to show you how, what is the internal strategy, the words, the pictures, the virtual reality that you run between your ears that leads to this behavior or leads to this attitude. And slow it down and look at that. And notice the lies that you're believing on the way there. How do you do compulsion so well? How, do you, how is it that under the right triggers you always get angry? Uh, how is it that you do un unforgiveness so well? How is it that you, are, uh, you shame your kids even though you don't want to? How is it that you do uh, getting into an argument with your wife? Or how do you do internally? What pictures do you see and what words do you hear that, that enables you, literally you empower yourself to avoid praying in spite of all the resolutions that, that, that you've made? How is it that you do compulsive masturbation though you have tried to quit that for so long? How is it that you do over drinking too much? Or, or how is it that you do lust so well or pornography or addiction or, 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 or maybe just being unloving? We need to take the behavior and don't just get mad at the behavior, but rather look at how do you do that behavior and now I'm asking how do you do it in your head? What is the strategy? What, are, what is the reality that you're running that, 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 that renders that behavior inevitable? I, I, I shared last week or two weeks ago about uh, how, how I did swearing. How I did swearing. 29 years a Christian and invariably when I'm trying to fix something that it won't be fixed, I, I get mad and, and I swear. And I, I, I noted there when I, could, when I could slow it down See, when you're into it, you don't even notice it. It's the nose on your face. That's what keeps you in bondage. But if you can, in meditation and in prayer, look at your brain the way you'd look at this, this stand here, the way you look at anything, and, and ask, what is this brain popping up here? What are the pictures that I'm seeing? And are they true or are they lying? I saw in my own life, as I'm walking down to fix this circuit breaker, uh, I talked about two weeks ago, I see a picture of me not being able to change a light bulb because I'm always incompetent on this sort of thing. And then that loops into a narrow net where I see myself fumbling a football. I see it in full color. I hear the crowd. I feel the shame. I fumble a football and I lose the game. And, 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 and the message there is that I'm incompetent and I'm a disappointment. And then I see a picture of my dad swearing, cursing out my dog. And the message there is that swearing is, a, is it, it helps. It's an appropriate response to being frustrated. So when, when I go to fix the circuit break, and I end up shutting off every light in the house and we can't turn it back on again, I swear. You see? Now, given the chain, you could say, oh, you should not swear, better not swear, you know, you ought not to swear. What kind of a pastor are you? I mean, my golly, yada, yada. And that's addressing the behavior. But see, you got to change the inside. you got to change. How do you do that behavior? Look at the whole package. Look at the lies that I was believing going into that. And so to change, what I need to do is, and what I have done is to sit down and practice this in prayer. I get a, don't just get a vision for a different behavior. That, that, that's a good thing. See, see yourself responding differently. But th this is what always happens. We're behavioralists. We say, oh, picture yourself being peaceful when you can't fix it. Well, that presupposes that you've changed everything that made you unpeaceful. But looking at the behavior won't do that. You gotta sit down and look at the whole iceberg, not just the tip of it. And so I look at the lie that, I, that I'm incompetent, I can't change a light bulb. Well, you know what, I am pretty competent at changing light bulbs, but I do fix things once in a while. And, and successfully, and besides, it doesn't matter. So I see a picture of Jesus hugging me, and I'm getting that unconditional love and unconditional worth, so nothing of, of, of real value hangs on whether I can fix this or not. And then, instead of me uh, uh, fumbling a football, I get a picture of me coming before the Lord and him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, you couldn't hang on to a football, could you? And you're really not very good at changing light bulbs, but I got some people who are hopeless, and you can minister to them. Just do what I command you to do, and well done, thou good and faithful servant. So no, 
now I'm getting, you know, kudos from God, you see? And then I, instead of seeing my dad uh, uh, swearing and thinking this is appropriate, now I get a picture of a different kind of behavior where I get a vision for the Christian Greg Boyd as, as he shuts off every light, light in the house trying to fix one light and can't uh, get him back on again. He would be frustrated. That's not ungodly. Frustrating, frustration is a godly emotion that tells you something's not working. So he'd be like, rats, rats, uh, <laughs> shucks. And then he would calmly say, no, no, how can I make this thing work? <laughs> Call Greg Erickson. <laughs> uh, you know, but but it, the, the situation wouldn't define me. I wouldn't be in bondage to the matrix. I would be defining it, you see? Um, but you've got to change the locomotive, that train that gets going that leads to the behavior. I actually have a little testimony here. I got a chance to try this out yesterday morning. Yes, honey, I am going to talk about this. Um, <laughs> Before I was going to put the final touches on the message, uh, my, my wonderful wife uh, said, can you just uh, help out around the house a little bit? F five minutes at a time. And I've learned that five minutes doesn't ever mean five minutes when it comes to me fixing anything. Uh, and so one of the jobs she had was for me to change a light bulb, wouldn't you know, on our front porch. Gee, can you just go change the light bulb? I can't quite reach it. So I go outside to change a light bulb again. Maybe, maybe, maybe this, I, I don't believe in predestination, but maybe this was predestined just for an illustration of the sermon. But uh, uh, I look at this light bulb, and the light bulb I know how to unscrew, but how do, you get, how do you get to it? It's got this glass around it. So I'm looking at this thing, genius that I am. And there's four screws underneath. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll just unscrew it, lift that off, and then change the light bulb. I undo the screws, and the thing falls totally apart. <laughs> And now the five-minute job it turns into a 45-minute job where I'm trying to put this thing back together again. I'm getting angry, uh, you know, and I never did fix it. I ended up, uh, you go past our house. In fact, I, I think I irrevocably broke it. Uh, it, 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 I, it, it is an art. To, to be able to, really, this takes, this takes ingenuity to, to, you know, break it this bad. You go past our house, you'll see this porch light that's all like, like this. My, I went and told my wife it's broken and it's not going to be fixed and, you know, I, it's just the way it is. And, and, she, and then she lovingly said, oh, that's odd. You know, my da our daughter changed that light bulb two weeks ago in five minutes. <laughs> but I did not swear. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! I've been freed. I almost did. <laughs> okay, but see, it wasn't just, here's the thing. I had to twice stop. And, and, and go through, what are the lies that I'm believing here that's leading to this? Uh, and I had to check those lies, and I had to smash them, and I had to install truth. I get my life from Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. This really doesn't matter. I had to reframe it. And when you reframe it, now the more Christian behavior, godly behavior, it comes as a natural outwork of that. But trying to change the behavior without changing everything that leads up to it, uh, maybe willpower alone could just make you not do it but you're doing it in your head all over the place. So what have you really accomplished? It's about taking every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Take any part of your life that is not in conformity with Jesus Christ and now dig deep behind it and look at the lies you believe that get you there and then install truth in those areas. And that brings about the different behavior. We've got to be disciples over our brain if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ in, in our public life. Now I want to apply all of that in, in the next 20 minutes, uh, to the sermon today, and, and uh, apply it in a new area. I want to talk about what is, I believe, the single most important aspect of the matrix stuff that we believe, and that has to do with the nature of faith. The nature of faith. What, what do we believe, have faith for in our brains? 
I, I know what we think we believe, but I'm going to show you that much of what we believe, we don't even know that we believe. And your faith will either keep you in bondage to the matrix or it will get you free in the matrix. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9. He said, he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done to you. This is not a magical formula, like if you just have faith, you're going to get a Cadillac, you're going to get a Cadillac. But it is a principle of life. It's a principle that as you believe things, you tend to bring about that kind of a future. Now, the author of Hebrews gives one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible when he says this. He defines what faith is. Faith is the assurance. The word there is hypostasis. It's an important word. I'll come back to it here in a second. Now, faith is the hypostasis, the assurance of things hoped for or expected. And it's the conviction, it led cost, the confidence of things not seen. All right? Faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for, the alleged cost of things not seen. I first want us to realize that faith is not a religious thing, it's a human thing. Everybody has got faith. I know there are people who don't think they have faith, uh, but everybody has faith. Uh, It's not a matter of whether you're going to have faith or not, it's it's a matter of what you're going to have faith in. I'm talking to a young man right now who's who's decided that he no longer has faith, Uh, he's going to live by reason, not faith. And I'm trying to get him to see that no matter what he believes, he believes it. Uh, he, he's exercising faith. If, if you believe that there is a God, a personal God, well, you're exercising faith. If you believe there is no God, you're exercising faith. You're wagering your whole life, this life and perhaps eternal life, on the hope that there is no God. You're having faith in the universe, that the universe is all that there is. And you can't prove that. It's an act of faith. You see, if you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is the Son of God, yeah, that's exercising faith. Uh, You're going a little bit beyond the evidence to do that. But uh, if you don't believe that he rose from the dead and is not the Son of God, you're also exercising faith. You're believing that he's not the Son of God. And I can give you the evidence that I have for believing he is the Son of God. What is your evidence for believing that he's not the Son of God? But let's at least be clear on this. We're both believing. We're both exercising faith. Everybody exercises faith. Not only does everyone exercise faith on the big issues, we exercise faith on a moment-by-moment basis throughout our life, and it, 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 it is the, the most decisive variable that determines the future that we bring about for ourselves. The author says, faith is the hypostasis of things expected or hoped for, and the, the, the elegkos, the confidence of things not seen. What he's saying here is this. Faith is the, uh, a, it's holding as a, the word hypostasis means substance. It means uh, solidity. It means reality. Okay, that, that's what the word means. Faith is holding as a reality, as a concrete, substantial reality, something that you expect to happen in the future. And that's a thought. That's what you do in your head. And it's being confident that this is what's going to come to pass. And whatever we hold, everything we do with regard to the future is an act of faith. Because you first experience it in your head before you ever do it with your body. Faith drives our life. We're confident of what's going to come to pass, and that's largely what, 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 what brings it to pass. Which is why the faith you hold on a moment-by-moment basis will either keep you in bondage to the matrix or be one of the steps towards getting free from the matrix. Let me show how this works. When I was walking down to change that circuit breaker two weeks ago, I was having faith that I wouldn't be able to fix it and that I would swear as a result of it. Absolutely. I was holding as a substantial reality in my head. That's how the brain thinks. We think in pictures. We think in words. We, 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 we make an expected future a present reality in our minds, and that's what in part brings about that future. So as I'm walking downstairs, I am confident 
then I'm gonna screw this thing up because I'm seeing the light bulb, okay? I'm holding that as a substantial reality. And then I'm confident that I'm gonna be a disappointment and I'm confident I'm gonna swear. I'm holding those things as a, as a substantial reality in my mind and Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So of course I end up swearing. You see, I was having faith in that and according to your faith, be it unto you. We can apply this in, in, in a trillion different ways. Uh, a, a young lady uh, who uh, is afraid of driving. She, she's a uh, competent, intelligent person, but just is terrified of driving. Why? And she has all the information that driving is relatively safe and yada, yada, yada. But see, the brain doesn't operate mainly on information. It operates by representing the reality and expected reality in our head. That's, the brain operates on faith is what I'm saying. And if you get inside of this young lady's mind, what you find out is this. The very thought of driving, that's the trigger. Or the sight of a steering wheel, that's the trigger. Or the invitation to, to, to take up driving lessons, that's a trigger. When the right trigger is there, she instantaneously, at one three thousandth of a second, gets a picture of a car wreck that she saw when she was five years old. And she experiences the fear of a five-year-old thinking that that's what cars do. She draws that conclusion. Now the rest of her brain has matured, the rest of her brain has gone on, but that neural net is still... Uh, that of a five-year-old. So when the right trigger is there, all of a sudden she's struck with this fear and she has no idea why because the matrix is inconspicuous. And so she, she's, she feels the fear and, and, and won't, won't, won't drive. She's in, according to your faith, be it unto you, uh, a certain kind of future is determined to her by on the basis of the faith that she has. She has faith, she's confident, she represents as a substantial reality in her mind that if she drives that car, a car wreck's gonna occur. And so she avoids driving. You take a person who's afraid of public speaking, a guy that I knew passed up a number of, of job promotions because they involve speaking to groups. And this person's articulate, and this person is smart, and this person is, is competent, but he's going to stay at this low level when he could be rising to a higher level because he's afraid of public speaking. Why? Why? Well, it's about the faith that he has, the faith that he has. The, the thought of public speaking is a trigger that sets off a narrow net. The narrow net has to do with a seventh grade boy who forgot his lines in some stupid play and everyone laughed and he felt humiliated. And boom, now that, that narrow net, the rest of his brain's gone on and matured, but this narrow net still that of a seventh grader. And under the right triggers, he has a seventh grader's fear of being laughed at. And so he avoids it like the play. You see, his, his faith is that if he speaks, he'll be humiliated, people will laugh, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll fail, fail. A young lady who's intelligent, attractive and godly, a uh, 35-year-old and wants to be married, is, is lonely. She just isn't given the gift of celibacy at all, and she's longing for this, but she can't seem to meet a guy. Just can't seem to meet a guy. Uh, she has opportunities, but the idea of walking up and starting a conversation uh, just freaks her out. And when some guy comes up and starts talking to her, this person is normally quite bubbly and normally quite fun. If it's a dating possibility, she just freezes, she chokes, she turns into just something very different than what she normally is. Why? Get inside of her head. Ask, what, what, what are you believing is going to happen here? Uh, what tragedy is going to happen if you actually got into a relationship? Well... Get inside enough and you'll find that her brain with the trigger of a guy, especially an attractive guy with the possibility of having a relationship, when that, that's a trigger that sets off at one three thousandth of a second a neural net that is about this kind of a faith. She sees herself as a sixth grade girl trying to flirt with the most popular kid in school on a bus. The kid turns on her and starts humiliating her, making fun of her nose in front of all the kids on the bus. Her sixth grade uh, brain comes to a conclusion. Always avoid this. You see, the sixth thing is the brain thinks it's doing you a favor. 
It thinks it's doing you a favor. It's protecting you. Don't go there. You remember what happened when you were in sixth grade? And, and so you have a confident assurance. You represent it as a substantial reality that if you try, if you actually care about having a relationship with this guy, you're going to be humiliated. Uh, the rejection is going to hurt. Avoid that pain at all costs. She, according to your faith, be it unto you. It goes on and on and on. Uh, motivation is all about faith. People who are motivated are people who can represent it in their mind as a substantial reality, and they move towards that. One of the reasons why I'm, I'm motivated about the youth center, I'm driven about this youth center, this is going to happen, is because I have faith that it will happen. And faith is the substance, the, the hypostasis of what, of what I expect, and it's the assurance that it's going to come to pass. And so I see in my mind all these teenagers coming from around the Twin Cities. <laughs> I love that picture. And, and, and the different ethnic groups and different social classes of kids. And I can hear the music pounding and, and the, the connection is the place to be. That's the youth center. And they all want to hang out there on Friday night. And, and, uh, and then I, I, I see some of these kids, you know, rubbing shoulders with our kids. And, and there's relationships that are being developed. And I get a picture of a young girl who's just distraught and she, and because she just found out that she's pregnant or she thinks she's pregnant, talking to a counselor. And she's inviting us to have an input in her life. I see that. I can taste that. I want to see that happen. I, I hear testimonies of, 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 of kids who are saying, I used to be hooked on drugs, but now I'm free. And, and I used to be sleeping around, but, but now my life's dedicated to God and, and, and becoming evangelists in their school. I can see it. I can taste it. I can feel it. It's a hypostasis reality in my brain. It makes me want it. It's right there. It's a concrete reality. I'm driven towards it. That, that's the nature of faith. And so I'm trying to bring other people in on the vision and the people who get that vision, who start to run those movies in their head and that commentary in their head, well, they start to want to sacrifice for it too and, and, and they start to get excited about it. But the people who don't have those movies run in their head, they see this as just another fundraiser. Churches are always asking for money. They're just trying to build another building. See, according to your faith, be done to you. The difference is what's going on between the ears. It all comes down to what's going on between the ears person who finds it impossible to love, uh, like we've been teaching, we're called to love. The central command in our life is to ascribe unsurpassable worth to all people at all times, no ifs, ands, and buts. That, that, that's the center of the gospel. I spoke with a person uh, last year when I was going through that message, and she was saying, whenever I do that, I feel so phony. It just feels phony. It feels artificial. Okay, it's about what, are, what faith are you exercising towards people? And get inside of the head a little bit. Uh, uh, become a disciple of your brain, a detective of your brain. Your responsibility is to sniff out computer viruses and get them out and deprogram that and program it right. Uh, and, and, uh, and what you find with this person is that they were raised in a religious environment, systematically trained to notice everything about everybody. Uh, a lot of people are conditioned. They're, 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 this is part of godliness, is to notice how ungodly people are. And, and so everything about people's lives becomes a trigger. You know, and, and so their, their neural nest is firing all the time. And they always got a running commentary uh, about people. Oh, that person's fat. Or that person's not dressed very well. Or that person, ooh, they smoke and we don't smoke. And, and that person's, you know, uh, a bad mother. And that person's this. And that person's probably not saved. Oh, that person looks like they are saved. Oh, that person's gay. Oh, but that person's probably straight. But I bet they're promiscuous. And, I, and there's these triggers going off. You see, the chemicals are constantly firing because you've been programmed to have them fire. And see, what you're having, the faith that you're holding as a substantial reality is that you, that is your faith about that person. That person's worth this. That person is worth this. That, this defines their life. And this is their future. You're having that kind of faith towards them. In fact, what you're having is faith not only about them, but about yourself. You have faith that you're better than that. 
In fact, that is why you're doing the whole thing. You're feeding off the contrast. That's why we make these contrasts. That's why we love to judge so much. It's eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the original sin in the Bible. Instead of, instead of ascribing worth to people, we eat their worth to feed ourselves. You see, that's why it's the most fundamental antithetical thing to the gospel. But here you are. You're systematically conditioned to be doing that. You have faith that you're better than that. But see, if you're going to love, if you're going to love, if you're genuinely going to love somebody, you've got to quit trashing them in your mind. <laughs> You know, of course it feels phony to say I love you when you're trashing them in your mind. Now, you don't even know that you're doing that, but the reason it feels phony, it's kind of like, have you ever walked in on a room where people have been, talk, people have been talking about you? You know, uh, two years ago I walked in on a room and, and I, clearly these folks, I, I wanted to say, caught you, didn't I? I caught you. <laughs> because you walk in and they all go, I, I, they don't even do it normally. If you really despise somebody, you still have this social propriety where you say, oh, hi, how are you doing? Oh, so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. But see, if you were just talking about them, then it fe- it's so obvious that you're a hypocrite that you can't take it. There's an incongruity there, you see? And we're wired for congruity. And so it, you, you just can't do it. Someone really would feel artificial if they started treating me nice after they were just trashing me. Same principle applies to the committee of your brain. If you're gossiping about people in your brain, well, then of course it's going to feel artificial when you say, oh, they have unsurpassable worth. Because your brain's going to go, that matrix is going to go, ha, 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 you hypocrite. You see? You can't love somebody if you're trashing them in your brain. Love has to, like everything else in our life, it's first got to happen inside before it can ever happen on the outside. That's why discipleship of the inside is the most important discipleship. It's what nobody sees except for you. That's the all-important thing. Paul says that we are to have this kind of a faith. We're to have this kind of a love. We are to uh, bear all things. We're to have a faith that believes all things and that hopes all things. That should be our stance. To walk in love is to, is to have this kind of faith for people, to believe the best about them, to hope the best about them, to hold that as a substantial reality in your mind, and you don't need to go any other place. You can just collapse every other trigger. Maybe the person sitting next to you right now is just reeking of alcohol. That's happened a couple times around here. Praise God. I, I, I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm not you know, glad that they're reeking with alcohol, but I'm glad that people who with alcohol come here. Uh, and, and, and you're welcome here, and I celebrate you being here. But you know, if, if you have a religious matrix inheritance, and you've been programmed a certain way, you're trained, systematically conditioned, as much as a toad, to have all those sort of thoughts about them, all those judgments about them. How, how could a person come to a church in that kind of condition? Who do they think they are? This is the house of God, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff going on. You know what? Just collapse that stupid stuff. Just, just shut it up. It's based on lies. And now start to think this. Uh, man, thank God that they are here. Praise God for them being here. Praise God they're made in the image of God. Amen. Thank God they are here. And now why don't you run this hoopostatic reality in your brain. Uh, faith is, 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 is a solidity thing. You just picture them being surrounded by the love of God. You know that God's working in their life. Maybe they even, they don't know it, but God's working in their life. And, and, and you can't outdrink the love of God, praise God. And, and just picture that love of God all around them like the air around them. Picture them, the love of God, like the ocean around a submarine two miles down, 2,000 square feet of, of pressure every inch. You know, the, the, the love is just pressing in on them. And, 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 and picture that in your brain and run that kind of commentary and now begin to see and ascribe the unsurpassable worth that they have. And you will find that your feelings towards them, according to your faith, be unto you. All of a sudden, you're developing a love for them, according to your faith, be unto you. Every emotion that we have is a result not of what's out there, but what's in here. Every emotion that we have. And we're responsible for our emotions. 
We can't change our emotions just like that. We can't change them directly, but we can change them by changing the representation in our brain that caused them, because they're all caused by the reality that we're doing in our head. And maybe that would come to church, you saw two guys holding their hands. Uh, you know, walking in here, and boom, all of a sudden, if you, if you came from a certain religious uh, matrix, you know, that sort of makes that the super sin, uh, the deal breaker as opposed to your sins. Yeah, right. Uh, all of a sudden, you got all those, those triggers going off, and you got the commentary running, and you got this, and that loops into other commentaries about society and, and what have you, and, and now, now there's nothing of love going on between your brain. How can you ascribe unsurpassable words to them? You just, in Jesus' name, collapse those things. Notice the lies that you are believing, and know that your one job description is to have... To, to, to believe the best and hope the best for them. So what does the best for them look like? What does the, the hope for them look like? Why don't you picture them dancing in the kingdom of God and picture Jesus wrapping his arms around those guys and picture the love of God pouring out on them like Niagara Falls on a little tiny pebble and representing your brain and thank God that they're coming to this place and that, that they, like you, are sinners who can be saved by grace. Hallelujah. Because God is a God who takes you as you are. And you just thank God that they're here. I don't care if the person next to you is dressed up in drag. I don't care if they got satanic tattoos over every square inch of their body and maybe every square inch of their body pierced all over the place. And, and maybe they smell the high heaven, haven't taken a bath in three weeks. And, and maybe they're sitting there angry at me. Maybe, maybe they look more like Pharisees and they're mumbling under the breath at everything I'm saying, you know. And, and, and you could have a little matrix going there like, oh, you must be one of those religious people or whatever. You know what? In Jesus' name, just get a hold of that. Get control of your brain. Tell that brain to shut up and start talking truth. And now you represent, believe the best, hope the best, have faith for them. See the future that God wants for them. See him dancing in the kingdom. See him dancing with the triune God. See him filled with joy. See him walking in forgiveness, praise God. Just as they are, looking like they are, receiving the love of God. You see, what, what, what faith do you believe for people? What's the faith that you have for people? I know a lot of religion, in fact, I think this defines religion. That's why I'm against religion. Religion. Usually, the, the, the insiders define themselves over and against the outsiders. In fact, it's almost a practical piece of wisdom. If you want to unite people, you've got to have a common enemy. You know? So you've got to define the boundaries, who's in and who's out. And, and then, then you, know, you have a holy club, and, and the people on the outside are all those who have the deal-breaker sins. And we'll tell you what the deal-breaker sins are. They're the ones that we don't have. Okay, so, you know, now see, look at What's the faith you're having? You're having faith that you're on the inside and they're on the outside. That's what you, 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 the, the pictures you represent, the commentary you run, is that they're on the outside, you're on the inside. I don't think that's quite believing the best and hoping the best for them. I don't know. Seems to me the kingdom of God is the one kingdom on the earth, the one community on earth where you don't have those boundaries. Rather, it's a whosoever will, whosoever will. The, the, the kingdom of God is not a holiness club. It is an as-is club, praise God. And as-is, as you are right here and right now, praise God. As-is. Thank God that's true, because otherwise none of us would be here. None of us would be here. It's God loving you as you are, the grace of God coming on you as you are, the power of God working in your life as you are, that changes you to what you shall be. And to believe the best and to hope the best is to see everybody as they shall be, but have faith for them in that regard. Maybe even they don't have faith for themselves, but you have faith for them. That's why the kingdom of God is like a giant Pac-Man who just gobbles up people and says, you know what, you're a part of us, even before you think you're a part of us. Uh, we're going to bear hug you in the kingdom. That's right. Yeah, you come with the tattoos. I want you to come with the tattoos. Come with the smell. You come with the misbehavior behavior. You come dressed in drag. You just come here because that's how I got here. And it's the love of God as you are that changes you into what you shall be. That's the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. It's got nothing to do with religion. 
And see, God, God will use us. God, if we will have faith to see what God sees, God uses us in that process with each other and with, with everybody else. We are representatives of that kingdom, but it's all a question of what faith do you have for another person? What's running in your head? Now, it, it takes slowing it down. We need to practice doing life in prayer if we're ever gonna do it in life. Uh, what gets triggered when you see this kind of a person or that kind of a person? And now just practice collapsing that and installing truth. See with the eyes of Jesus. It's so crucial in our relationships. Uh, just final word about this. I gotta end this thing. Uh, it's so crucial. Tell Susie two minutes. Uh, it's so crucial in our, in our relationships. You guys, uh, w what is the faith you're holding for your spouse, for example? You know, a lot of people think they're working on their marriage. And they believe that they're believing God to heal their marriage. Wonderful. But actually, if you get inside their head, their faith is that they're going to get a divorce. Because all the tapes they're running in their brain about their spouse is, I'm out of here. The husband's thinking, he remembers all the bad stuff. He pictures it. He doesn't know he's doing this, but he's picturing all the bad, time, bad times, all the arguments, all the times she nagged. You know, and, and he's running a commentary about how she doesn't appreciate him. That girl would appreciate me, I bet you. My secretary appreciates me. I better be happier over there. And, oh, yeah, I'm believing God to heal my marriage. While well, he's doing the, the faith, the substantial reality, the confidence that he's holding in his brain is going in the other direction. Wife, same way. Oh, my husband, he doesn't care. He's this, that, and the other thing. Represents all the bad memories. Is, is holding that e in her mind. Of course, then they have feelings of animosity towards each other because feelings are never a response to what's out there. It's a response to what's in here. Anybody who ran those kind of ugly pictures would feel animosity. If you're going to change, it's got to change between the ears. And so as an act of discipleship, if a couple wants to work on a marriage, you make a commitment. I am having faith. I'm having faith that our marriage will be the kind of marriage God knows we can have, which means you start running movies about it in your head in the morning, in the noon, in the night. Run those kind of tapes. Run those, have that kind of a substantial reality because now you're going to be moving towards that. The direction of your life is set by the faith that you hold. Whether you're in bondage to the matrix or whether you get free from the matrix is all about what are you believing about yourself, about other people, about your spouse, about the neighbor, about the person who thinks that they're your enemy, about, about God. What's the faith that you hold? I, 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 I want to close with this. If you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, uh, you're going to have a real tough time getting, the, getting this discipleship between the ears down until your heart is settled with God. And I want to encourage you as we're dismissed to come up here and to my right there's a table and there'll be a, be a few people over there who will be glad to explain to you how to begin this walk with God. For the rest of us, I want us to close our eyes and I'll just end with this prayer. And if the prayer team would come forward when we're done praying, you can uh, uh, spend some time up here at the altar uh, for any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for. But Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would give us our, help us to realize the full authority that we have over the brain that you gave us. Father, this, this uh, chemical reaction processor between our ears, it's so beautiful. And yet the enemy makes it into a, t a tool to keep us in bondage. But Lord, help us to get a grip on, to take time. Uh, convict us to take time to introspect, to watch at how we're doing our mental behavior, which leads to our physical behavior, our attitudes. Lord, give us the, the true pictures that we're to hold for ourselves, for each other, for our spouses, for you, and to collapse the triggers the enemy has set up in our life. We walk out of here as kingdom people with our intent, interest, concern, passion to make the kingdom happen in our brain as it is in heaven. Lord, let your will be done in our brain as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.
And all God's people said, amen. The altar is open. If you want to come forward for prayer, God bless you guys. We love you.